there's really um, just one very simple thing that I want to try and uh, talk about this morning. And it's, I want to talk about the Bible. And basically, the half of what I want to say is that we can, and I know for, for most of us, this is just a, re a reminder. Uh, I really am aware of that. But it's just a reminder that I've been saying to myself, and so I'll share it with you as well, that we can, when we come to the Bible, trust the whole of the Bible with the whole of our heart. We, we can trust every word of Scripture with everything that we've got. Um, I turned up at Soul Survivor when I was 18, and I did an internship with Mike. And it was the first time I'd come into a church where people believed in, um, uh, well, people practiced, obviously, listening to God and having um, prophetic words and pictures and things like that. And I remember just being, seeing this for the first time and just being my jaw dropping to the floor and, and just thinking, oh my word, this is crazy. These people have been reading my mail. Or, or, or seeing Mike um, share a word or seeing someone in the congregation share a word and then others respond to that and seeing so clearly that God was speaking. And I remember thinking, God never speaks to me. He doesn't talk to me. This is, this is ridiculous. And I began like a long argument with Mike, telling him that God never talks to me, and I was quite cross about that. And then I still remember, even though it was a long time ago now, a time came where I'd just been reading my Bible, and I came in to find Mike, and I just said, oh, um, something had just, just jumped off the page at me, and I just loved the way that Jesus treated somebody. I was just impacted by that. And I remember coming into him and saying, you know what, Mike, I've just seen this. This is amazing about Jesus. And this was like the third or fourth time that week that I'd, I'd said something like that to him. And he just said, mm, yeah, that's true. Gosh, um, for someone who doesn't hear God very well, that's, uh, you know, that's quite a, a great insight. And uh, that was his way of saying, you dummy, you do hear him. Um, stop saying that you don't. He is speaking to you. Stop thinking that he isn't. And he was trying to help me to see that although God, and the scripture says it, speaks in so many different ways, the primary way that he speaks to us is through his word. And we can trust the whole of his word with the whole of our hearts. We can trust every word with everything that we've got. And we, we just need to sometimes just remember that and come back to it. God speaks to us primarily through the Bible. So what do we mean by this when we say God speaks through the Bible? Um, one of the ways that I picture this, and, and forgive me if you've heard me say this before, but I can't think of a better picture. Uh, do you remember when you were at school and there were some teachers who could control a class and there were other teachers that couldn't? Remember that distinction? And for me, when I was at school, uh, I had this one teacher called Mr. Best. And he was like, he's my history teacher. He, did, he never needed to raise his voice. So if he walked into a room, we all fell silent. If he raised an eyebrow at one of us, we fell into a coma. He, he had that kind of level of like, you know, aura about him. And then I had another teacher at the other end of the spectrum called Madame Shiki. And Madame Shiki was my French teacher. And uh, the only phrase I can remember now from French, the only one that stayed with me across the decades since I learned it, is the phrase, ça suffit, which means, 
that's enough, right? And the reason I remember that is because she had to, she screamed it at us over and over and over again, but we never sat feed. And so there would be, there would be times where, you know, did you ever do that thing where everybody in the, in the room like hums? Everyone goes, mmm, and you sort of walk over to, like the teacher walks over to where she thinks it's coming from, and those people stop, but everybody else carries on. Um, and that's the sort of thing that we used to, we used to torture her, God bless her. Um, and... Uh, Anyway, and so if you've ever had it, you would have had situations where I'm sure at school, you, you turn up to the class and the teacher's not there for whatever reason. They've got a training thing or something, but they're not there. And they leave exercises on the whiteboard for you to do. Now, my question is, do you do the exercises? And I suspect the answer is probably, it depends on the teacher, right? So, so if Mr. Best has left us a list of exercises on the whiteboard, what we would do is we would sit down, get our books, and we'd do the exercises. But if Madame Shiki had left a list of exercises on the whiteboard, then one of us would accidentally rub our blazer along the whiteboard and we would say to her when we next saw her, exercises, Madame Shiki, what exercises? And here's the point. Um, the, the writing on the whiteboard in and of itself doesn't mean much. What matters is the authority of the teacher working through the writing. And so if the teacher has no authority, then don't pay attention to the writing. But if the teacher has authority, then you pay attention to what it says. And what we believe as followers of, of Jesus is that God Almighty, the Lord of the universe, exercises his authority through these words. This is where he speaks. And if this is where he speaks then what that means is we can trust the whole of his word with the whole of our hearts. And we can trust every word with everything that we've got. And as we kind of like, as we, as we unpack this and as we ponder it, one of the things that I've been coming back to again and again is the way that Jesus approached the Bible. Because what can be tempting at times is to treat the, the Bible a bit like people treat a box of celebrations at a party. I don't know if you've ever handed a box of celebrations around at a party, but the first one's to go, the Maltesers, right? And at the end of the party, you've got a box with about 15 bounties left in the bottom. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's always one person that likes bounties, but apart from that one person, nobody else does. And we, can, and we pick and choose. And what can happen is, because that's just the, that's the water that we're swimming in, that's the culture we're raised in, the pick-and-choose culture, the culture that says, you can just decide what you like, and then you, you just go ahead and do that. Because that's our, that's our world, what can happen is we can approach the Bible like uh, a box of celebrations, where it's like, oh, these verses, these are the Maltesers. I think I'll take that, and I'll take that, and I like this. But that stuff, whoa, that's a lot of bounty. I, uh, I'm not going to go near that. I, that can't be true. So I'm not going to trust that bit. And, and, and actually, that's not how we see Jesus approaching the Word of God. And, I, you know, if there's anybody who can do what he wants, it's Jesus, because he is the living Word. If there's anyone who can say, I'm going to decide what my own truth is, it's the one whose name is the truth. And yet, what we see when Jesus turns up is that he, he chooses to submit himself, like surrender himself to the Scripture. Now, for him, that was the Old Testament. For us, it's the Old and the New. But it's like he, he's deliberate about that. So, so there's a moment where he's tempted. You know the story in, in Matthew chapter 4 where he's tempted by the devil in the wilderness, and the devil says to him, hey, 
you know what? You must be pretty hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. Why don't you turn the stones into, into bread? And that would be, she'd want to do that if you were Jesus because you'd be hungry. But he says, no, I'm not going to do that. Even though probably he wanted to. And the reason he gives is because it is written. And he goes on to quote the scripture. That happens twice more. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. And then when people are puzzled about why he is doing what he's doing, the way he always explains himself is he says, because it's written. Haven't you heard what it says in, in, in this scripture? Haven't you heard what it says in that scripture? Peter says to him, don't go and get crucified. That's a terrible idea. Jesus rebukes him and says, Pete, you don't, you've got in mind the things of man, but I'm interested in the things of God. And he says again and again, it's written that this is what is meant to happen. He chooses to live in this way because he sees what's written in the word. And uh, there's a verse that I just want us to sort of, I suppose, have at the back of our minds as we think about this. And you can find it in um, 2 Timothy. It's 2 Timothy 3.16. And it says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I hear that and I really would rather cross out rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness part. But anyway, it's in there and it says the whole of the scripture is that. So picture it like this. Um, and if anyone's ever asked you, like, if you could take one item to a desert island, what would you take? I don't know if you've come up with an answer to that, but I have decided what mine will be. Should I ever be asked the question? I've decided if I can take one item to a desert island, I will be taking Bear grills. <laughs> and the reason for that is obvious, right? Because if Bear's with me, we're all good. Like, whatever happens, if I need to, like, you know, I can be like, Bear, how do I... I don't know, cook this fish I just found on the beach. Is, is it time to drink my own urine bear? Have we reached that point in the survival experience yet? Guide me, right? And uh, let's say we find ourselves genuinely in a survival situation with bear and uh, you fall down, a, a, I don't know, a cliff and damage your leg and, and you turn to bear and say, bear, what do we do? How do we strap it up? And, and you see bear pull out of his back pocket this kind of dog-eared old book and start kind of leafing through it to find the section where it says what to do if you've damaged your leg. And then imagine slightly later on, on the island, you, you like find, I don't know, a snake or something. You're like, Bear, do we need to cook this or can we eat it raw? And he, he pulls out from his back pocket this old book again and leafs through it to find the answer. And you say, Bear, how do, we, how do we start a fire? How do we know this water's purified? How do we do this? And every time he pulls the book out, starts leafing through it, looking for the answer. If Bear Grylls, trained by the SAS, the best in the world, Bear Grylls, who broke his back as a young man and still healed up and went and climbed Mount Everest. Bear Grylls, who has like taken all sorts of celebrities into the jungle and restrained himself from leaving them there. Bear Grylls, who knows all of this. If he were to pull out of his pocket in a survival situation a book and consult it, then surely we would think there must be some good stuff in that book, right? If Lewis Hamilton is reading a book about how to drive a car, or we've got Lionel Messi reading a book on how to score a goal, or Mike is reading a book about how to enjoy food. <laughs> we'd look at these people and we'd think, nobody in the world operates at your level for what you're doing, and you're reading a book on this? That book must have something special in it, right? Well, what we have here, think about this. The living God becomes one of us. He is the truth. He has the wisdom of Solomon. 
And when he's trying to decide what to do, he gets out this book and he reads it. He's trying to work out what not to do. He gets out this book and he reads it. He submits himself to it. I hate that word, submit. But that is what he does. And he trusts the whole of the book with the whole of his life. And for us, we follow him. So what that means is we follow his example that we might trust the whole of God's word with the whole of our hearts. So that's one thing. But then a question for me comes up. And the question is, but what about all the bits in the book that I don't like? There's a, you know, there are parts where I'm reading it and I'm like, whoa, this is, I'm not sure about this, God. What, what, what do I do with those bits? And we've got to be honest about it. So, so to say that we, we, we submit to God's word, the, the risk of that is we can think what we're saying is we throw our brains away. You know, we check our brains in at the door when we arrive at church. That's not what it is. We, we love him with our minds as well as everything else. It's not to say we don't ask questions. One of the things I love about the Bible is it's full of people asking questions. I challenge you to find a question people are asking today that's not already been asked by somebody in the Bible itself. So it's none of that. But, but, but what it is to say is when we come across a bit that we don't like, where do we go? Well, what we do is we don't disregard it, we dig into it. Let's dig down a little bit deeper. Because sometimes what we find is because the Bible was written at a certain time in a certain culture, we, we need to understand the context of it so we can apply it well. And sometimes what it seems to be saying on the surface is not in fact what it is saying. It's just because there's that distance of history and time and culture and context. So we dig into it and we may well find that that's the case. But other times we'll dig into it. And I've, I've had this experience. You dig into it you think, right, I really hope this doesn't mean what it seems to be saying. I'm going to read a couple of books, and I'm going to find out if it really does mean this. You read the books, and you find out, yes, it does, in fact, mean what you think it means. Um, what do you do then? And one of the things that I've, I've... I'm absolutely nowhere near getting there on it, but I'm aspiring to get there. One of the things I've been trying to do is to get to those places and think, okay, I'm going to enjoy the fact that I'm following a God who seems to know more than I do. Because if God is really God, do we think he will never disagree with us? Or do we think the two of us are completely in sync? I mean, do we think he'll, he'll never be like, oh, you know, I'm not sure about that attitude or I'm not sure about that behavior? Of course he will. Um, it's really old now, but I don't know if you've ever read the book or, or seen the film, The Stepford Wives. But if you haven't, um, I'm going to show you a little clip of it. It's this, uh, the story of this lady, Joanna, and her husband, Walter. And they move to this, this town called Stepford. And they're in it. And they th after a little while, they realize it's a pretty weird place. Because all the, all the wives in the town, the wives of the men, they all just behave in a way that seems very odd. So they're doing everything that their husbands are saying. Uh, they're, they're always wearing makeup and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it just seems really strange. And after a while... Joanna actually goes on the internet and she, she Googles all these ladies and she finds out that they used to be very high-powered executives, judges, barristers, and it seems like they've lost all of that. And uh, spoiler alert, what they find out is that the men in the town have been actually turning their wives into robots. And so here is a little clip to give you a sense of what it's like in Stepford. Have a look. What is that? Up on the hill. 
Well, that's our Stepford Men's Association, where all our wonderful guys can get together and stay out of our hair. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> where did the women go? To the Simply Stepford Day Spa. you all to welcome our newest citizen to Stepford, Joanna. Good morning, Joanna. Are we ready to work out? Oh, yes. yes. Places and poles, please. Wait, you work out dressed like this? Whatever we do, we always want to look our very best. I mean, why imagine if our husband saw us in worn, dark, urban sweat clothes with stringy hair and almost no makeup. Now, today you are in for a special treat because we are working on a series of exercises which I've personally invented based on simple household tasks. I call my program Clairobics. Because her name is Claire. All right, now it's time to slim and scrub. Let's all be washing machines and chugga 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 I don't know how many of you have ever been to an exercise class like that, but <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, one of the points that the film is making is that although, you know, maybe initially, some of us might find that idea quite attractive. You know what? After the argument I had with my husband on the way here, you know, I'd love to turn him into a robot. After the argument I had with her last night, I'd love to turn her into a robot. I'd love my partner to just agree with everything I say all of the time. We can be initially attracted to that, but the whole point the film is making is actually, in reality, nobody wants to have a Stepford wife. Because if it's not a real relationship, if there's, if there's not... Um, genuine dialogue, then, then what's happened is you're just like, like it's, it's empty. If I programmed my phone, Siri, on my phone every morning to, to sort of say, I love you, Andy, you know, that'd be okay, but it's not really going to meet the deep human need that there is inside of me. If you start dating someone called Alexa, who's an Amazon Echo, then that's going to be an inadequate relationship. What we want is genuine relationship, and in any real relationship, there's disagreement, and there's, there's, there's back and forth, and, and, and that's how it's meant to be with our God. So we come to him, and there'll be things that he says, and we're like, gosh, I'm not sure about this. When you read the Bible, and there are bits that make you uncomfortable, good, Good, that's a good thing because he's speaking to us and he's challenging our attitudes and he's, he's calling us into another way of life. He's stirring something inside of us that we might live for him and reflect him. It's, it's meant to challenge us at times because he will. And the risk is if we, every time we come across a thing that we don't like, say, well, I can't, I'm not going to trust that bit, then what we're in practice doing is reshaping him into our image. What we've ended up with is a Stepford God. 
And ultimately, a step for God will never satisfy us. We take the wild, untamable Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and put him to one side because he makes us nervous and instead create this own pathetic, pale imitation that just massages every opinion we have. We've lost our way. We come to know the real God. And when we trust his word, what it, what it leads us to ultimately is relationship. It, it, it's a closeness with him. So, so and just to finish, as we, as we ponder this, it's like, all right, so, so Jesus trusts the word. How much more do I need to? And another part of it is, what about those bits I don't like? Yeah, there, there will be those things. And when, when we find them, what we want to do is wrestle with them honestly, but also dig deeper rather than disregard. Here's the final thing. What we'll find as we follow his word, as we do trust it, is that we are getting to a place that we will not get to otherwise, as we seek to obey. So elsewhere in the scripture, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about, um, at the end, he says, basically uses this picture of a person who builds a house on sand versus a person who builds their house on rock. And he says, those who hear the word of God and obey it, they're the ones building on an unshakable foundation. And don't we want to have foundations that, that are strong, that equip us to weather the ups and downs? Don't we need those now more than we ever have done? And that, that the way we get there is, is by trusting what he's telling us, choosing to, to live according to how he tells us to live. And um, just to finish, I think of it a bit like this. I... Um, for my stag party, one of the things that we did is we were up in the Peak District and we got put, we were, the guys that were with me split up into two teams and put in separate cars and driven off into the middle of the moors. And we were dropped in separate locations in the middle of the night and it was a race to see who could get back to the house first. And we didn't have a phone. All we were given was just a map, basically. And uh, I just want to tell you that my team won that race and I felt like I needed to let you know that. That is um, because the other team just went to the pub. And <laughs> I was like absolutely in the zone, marching everybody, like trying to, I want to be Bear grills. And uh, anyway, they were just sitting having a pint. But there we go. I made it to the end first. But you're there in the middle of nowhere in the moors and you're trying to work out, can I trust the map? And how do you decide? Well, what you do is you look around you and you look at the landscape and you think, okay, I see a, a tree, I see a hill, I see a river. And then you look at the map and you think, does this map match this landscape? Yes, it does. It seems to. Like, I can see a tree, I can see a hill, I can see a river. You're at point A and you're trying to get to point B. And so you start to walk along the path. And what happens is there are moments where the path forks. And what I found in moments like that is that my instincts, which I pride myself on as highly accurate, my instincts told me, go this way. But the map seemed to indicate, go that way. And at a moment like that, you have a choice. Which do I trust, my instincts or the map? Now, um, what we would do in moments like that is we say, well, look, the map does seem to match the landscape. Maybe we should try it. And so we'll go the way the map says. And what we find is, oh, my word, thank goodness we didn't go the other way. We would have fallen off a cliff. And then you start to trust it a little bit more. And gradually what you find is your trust in it grows the closer you get to point B, where you're trying to get to. It's probably obvious what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this. All of us, every single human being, whether they're following Jesus or they're not, we're at point A. And we're trying to get to point B, which is the place where we find peace 
and security, purpose and freedom, life in all its fullness. We're all of us trying to get there. And what we find is we open up the Bible and this as a map seems to match the landscape around us. We see in here a world that is good, but where something has clearly gone wrong. And we look at the world around us and we see a world that's good, but where something has clearly gone wrong. And we start to follow this. And you've probably had this experience as you follow Jesus. There are moments in life where your instincts say, go this way, do this, it'll be amazing. But the Bible seems to say, no, go that way. Isn't there a wrestle in a moment like that? And for me, what I've found is the times where I've gone my own way, those have always been the times that I've fallen off a cliff. And the times where I go this way, even though I don't understand it, I go this way, those have been the times over and over and over again. Haven't you found this? Where you find yourself closer to point B which is where we find not the fake superficial happiness our culture would have us buy in, but it can never deliver to us, but we find deep, lasting joy, real peace, even in the midst of terrible circumstances, security and identity that lasts beyond what's on the surface when we follow this word, because it leads us not ultimately to a place but to a person, not somewhere, but someone. It leads us to him, and he's always where we're trying to go. And so, to finish, I went to Mike and I said, hey, I really wish God spoke to me. I just can't hear him. And basically what he said back is, you're not gonna hear him if this is closed. If you open it up and you open up your heart, what you will find is that he speaks to you again and again, and again. Trust the whole of his word with the whole of your heart.